Hey, you look good this morning. Tell somebody they look good this morning. Is my mic, is my mic on? Tell somebody that you look good this morning. Come on, look at somebody. Don't be shy. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was insecure. I was hoping somebody would let me know. Come on, come on. Let's wake up this morning and enjoy God's presence this morning. Let's, let's be alive in God's presence this morning. Let's be glad we're at church this morning, that we get to do community together. I am not going to let you just sit there and let me do all the talking. You're allowed to raise your hand and get that rotator cuff moving early in the morning. You're allowed to use your voice and amen or come on, preacher, or say that thing again or uh-oh. Whatever you feel like saying. You're, you're allowed to be involved in the service this morning. We're not going to hold back. I'm excited when we, David said, I was glad to be in the house of God. When they called me up and they texted me and said, let's go to church, he was like, oh, I got excited about being at church. I refuse to let this be a church where we lack excitement. We will be awake. We will be aware. We will enjoy God's presence or we're not going to do it at all because I'm not here to endure you and you certainly don't need to endure me, but we need to enjoy who God is in our midst. Amen. So we're going to be awake and we're going to be excited and we're going to be aware of all that God is doing. So this morning, do you love Jesus? Do you love him more than last week? Yesterday, no matter what happened this week, no matter what you came through this week, no matter what happened and occurred in life this morning that got you even to this point, I'm glad to be in God's presence here today. I'm excited for this series that we're in. I'm excited to be a part of all that God is doing here. If you're not involved at the Avenue in more than just this Sunday morning experience, you are missing out on what God has for you. Small groups are happening. Be a part. Grow in community with somebody. If you want to know more about the Avenue, go to Growth Track. Hit that QR code. They'll play again at the end of the service. See Brandon right here at the front row. He'll talk to you. It's next Sunday night. It's an amazing time. Become a part of the Avenue and be a part of everything that God's doing here as well. Also, in, con in conjunction with what we do here on Sunday morning, we also worship God with our giving. So for each one that's visiting this morning, this service is our gift to you. But we believe that our giving of our tithe and our offering back to God is, give, is worship as well. So you'll see the slides on the screen there with the text to give and the, the website to give. You can do it the old-fashioned way and drop a check in the giving station in the back as well. But make sure that you're worshiping God with your giving, with your voice, with every part of us, which leads us into our fifth part of our series this morning on DNA, which is simply this, we will worship. Amen. Come on, how many of y'all enjoyed week number one that said, we will place Jesus over everything? Yeah. Week one, we'll place Jesus. This is the behaviors. These are values. This is how the avenue is going to operate. This is the very core of who we are. This is in our DNA so that when you're outside of this building, people can identify you as to who you are. When you're in your family, you can take this and go, no, no, this is our behavior, our habit. This is how we operate. When we're here in this space, this is who we are. We make a decision to place Jesus over everything. We are committed to community. We're going to be together. We're committed to each other. We're there in the highs and lows as we ride the roller coaster of life. Who can remember number three? Come on. We build on the Bible. And we made a commitment and said we are going to read the Word of God for 90 days because we're going to build our lives on the only foundation that is true, that when the storm blows and the winds come, we are founded on a firm foundation, the Bible, the Word of God, which has existed against every attack and will exist all the way to the end. 
The word of God shall not fail, and so we build our lives on the Bible. We also, then last week we talked about we pursue people. The heartbeat of God is the pursuit of people, is going after people. And so this morning we are talking about now that we will worship. And I really am excited this morning because I believe that worship is one of the most misunderstood words in church miscommunicated words in church, stereotyped words in church. How many of y'all, when you came to the avenue, you got here first time, maybe it's today, maybe you've been here a long time, and you really enjoyed it because you reached under your seat and you pulled out that old hymnal and you opened it up and you began to sing the old songs of the church because that's what we assumed worship was. And I love hymns. Like, I love some of the old songs. My favorite song in the whole world is a hymn. It's It Is Well. Over every other song that's ever been written, that is my favorite song. But we don't sing them a lot. So we transition just because time moves. And so we don't have books anymore. Now, how many of y'all remember the projector screen? Come on, you've been in church a minute. Maybe teachers still use it today. But they would, and sometimes in, in, in churches, they would handwrite the words. So you better have good penmanship. And you would hand write it out, and you could see that they didn't expect the song to be so long because it'd be big letters up here. And then as the slide got to the end, they would try to cram all the words in over here. And my God, I, one of the first things I did at church, I think it was 12 or 13 years old, and I was the guy that sat all the way at the front. It's wonderful now because if you volunteer at the Avenue on the Dream Team and you're in the media team and you get to be the guy that puts the words on the screen, you're in the back of the room. So it's all in front of you. If you enjoy sitting on the back row at church, you would probably enjoy being on the media team because nothing's coming behind you. You got your back to the wall, and it's all in front of you. And you, where back in the day, you were all the way up front. Like everybody back, back here, you sat here in a chair isolated all by yourself. You're back to everyone, and you had to take that slide and put it on that projector screen, and it would go up. And if you messed up, which I did, oh, man, it was terrible. It's pitiful. We transitioned from that to this now. Well, and and it's, it's crazy because over the course of time, the songs change as well. But that's why we can't stereotype worship as just singing and music. I want to break down in your mind today the concept that worship is so much more than just music. Right. We call it worship songs. I get it. And we, we, we put this idea around it. But worship is what we do with our lives every day and inside of that day. And at the avenue, we are committed to being people that say we will worship God. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. One verse. One verse. I may have quite a bit more notes, but one verse will lead out. The Lord said to Moses, the people were in captivity. They'd been stuck in Egypt for 420 years. They were there. They had been enslaved. They went there in peace. The new pharaoh came. He was afraid of the people. They outnumbered the Egyptians. So instead of taking the people and building a healthy relationship, maintaining that, he was afraid of them. So he bound them, put them in captivity, and put slave masters over them and made them build bricks and build what we probably today see as the pyramids. And they went through that whole period. And as they were, they served there in Egypt for those years in captivity. And they cried out to God, and God heard their voice. And this is where we pick it up in verse, uh, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. There is a reason for the freedom you have 
as a believer. And it's right there. There is a reason for the freedom that God has given you from the bondage, from the captivity, from the slavery of the enemy. And it is so that you may worship him. We will worship. God, we pray this morning that you take the very core of our being, God, and take and go down inside of it and speak to us this morning. Change around concepts. Move through the ideas that we may have established and predetermined throughout our life. And Lord, this morning, set up exactly inside of us the very reason for existence, that we would worship you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? There is a misconception so to speak, in the church. Worship being music is one. Another one is that a long time ago, in the space that God existed, and as he was out there and before everything, before creation, before he spoke the world into existence, before he, 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 he set the sun and the moon and the lights and the, everything, before all that, God was existing, and as he was, he had this human-shaped hole in his heart. Right, like there's this thought that God had this hole in his heart and needed you and I. And if you go back in history and into creation, you'll see this because there was a there was three angels that were ruling over that had authority that God had given them. There was Michael, the archangel, who was a warrior. There was Gabriel, the messenger angel who carried the word of God. And there was Lucifer, the angel of worship that would lead all of the heavens in worship to God. And you have this thought because Lucifer fell and he sinned and God cast him and a third of the angels out of heaven. And when he did, that God must have had this longing in his heart to be worshipped. And so he created man in order that we may worship him. And it's false. It's not the correct concept. It's not the right idea that God had to do this so that we would worship him. There's a great word in theology. If you're taking notes, write this down. I'm going to throw it on the screen so you can see it. Write this word. It's aseity. Oh, man, we went deep. Aseity. And aseity just simply means self-existent and self-sufficient. That God is self-sufficient and self-existent. And when you understand and believe this, that God does not need you and I, nor our worship, that God is fully able to suffice himself, that he is self-sufficient in himself, that he is self-existing even without us in his aseity, we get a better understanding that God does not make us worship him because he needs us. But he gives us a choice to worship him because we're his creation. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference because as God would allow us to do this, it brings us to the conclusion that God needs nothing from us, so we must be here for another purpose. He doesn't need our worship. Because if God needed us, he couldn't nurture us. And take the illustration of a mom and a baby. And as the mom brings the baby into the world, she's there to nurture and provide for the baby. And the mom doesn't need anything from the baby in order to do that. She was existing before the baby, and she is able to do, give everything the baby needs to bring life. But if the mom needs from the baby, the mom cannot have the ability to be self-sufficient as well. So the mom is able to fully give everything the baby needs 
for life and is not dependent on the baby. This may help if you take this down another road for another day with some of your parenting, that as moms and dads, with our children, if you're in a space where you need from your child, you're going to have a harder time parenting your child. If you need validation from your child, you're going to have a hard time giving them correction. Ooh. If you need permission from your child, if you need cool factor points from your child, if you need your child to approve of you and you have a need that only they can meet and you remove yourself from mom and dad into this place of now we're level and equal, you have a hard time providing what they need because you are no longer self-sufficient in this area. So God is in this space and he says, I don't need anything. I don't need you to validate him as God. Our worship does not validate the fact that God is God. Our worship reminds us and makes us aware that God is here. It brings into awareness the very fact that God is present in case you forgot, in case you missed it, in case it was just, oh, I was doing life and I forgot that God was with me in this moment. Acts 17 says this, Then God made the whole world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. As if. As if God needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. He didn't need to create you. He chose to create you. So God did not have this hole in his heart that was longing for humans so that we'd come along to validate him or to worship him. He chose to, and he allows you to choose and return as well. Now, we are here for his enjoyment and for his pleasure. And write this down. So it begs the question, why do we exist? We exist to glorify God. We exist to bring glory to God. We exist to bring glory to God on the earth, one day in the heavens. We exist to bring him honor. Isaiah 43, 1 and 7 says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, and formed you, Israel. That he's going through the direction there of, of Israel, but it, it can apply to you and I. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Everybody who was made for my glory, which leads us to this, is not a question of will you worship. It's, it's, it's not a question of what will you worship, it's, or, or it is a question of what will you worship. Because in this space now, we see that worship actually comes really natural to each one of us. It comes really easy. It's natural for you to have something in your life that you glorify, that you put up in front, that you take. Listen to me. On social media, every time you like something, you glorify it. This stands out more than the next thing I just saw. I'm bringing glory to it. I'm placing a precedent upon it. I'm hearting something. I'm actually using this as a means of worship. I'm actually doing something here that would cause this to stand out more 
than the other. And it is natural for each one of us because we have a desire to worship something or someone. Because inside of us, God doesn't need us, but we have a need of him. And so as we need him, counterfeits and substitutes come along and try to take our attention and steal our worship. Nothing wrong with like buttons. Nothing wrong with heart buttons. Don't get me wrong. Don't, well, Pastor Zach can't like anything anymore. No, you can like the church photos all you want. You, you have to understand, this is not, I'm not trying to get out here on this limb. And I, I'm trying to point you in the direction that you're going to worship something. How many watched the baseball game last night? Dear God, what a roller coaster. Back and forth. The O's went up. Baltimore went up 5-1. to one, And there was much rejoicing in Baltimore. And then the Astros came back 6-5. to five, And Houston woke up. And then it was 7-6. Seven to, seven to six. And then it was 7-7, seven seven, and then it was 9-7 Baltimore, and then four runs in the ninth, and the Astros went up 11-9, and then one run in the ninth for the O's, it went 11-10, nobody out, down one, and the Astros win the game. And there is rejoicing, and there is worship, and there is glory, because that's what we're designed to do. And when the Texans kick off today, and when your child does good at an event, Oh, my God. My kid can have the smallest part in a play. We got a video sent us the other day from Mom's Day Out. Dax is four, and he's got the microphone. And you can't even understand what he says. And he's a little bit nervous. He's pulling on the bottom of his shirt. And each child is lined up, and they're in front of everybody on the stage, and they put the microphone in his face because everybody knows you don't hand a child a microphone. You hold it for them. <laughs> and so they're holding it. And he says, Genesis 1-1. And as he is, we're like, oh my gosh. Look at this kid. How cool is that? How? Oh yeah. And we're sharing it with family and we're exalting it and we're glorifying it and we're celebrating it because there's something inside of you that's going to. We had a little huddle this morning and we're going around celebrating people because there's something inside of you that's going to celebrate. And Brandon celebrates his son Garrett because of some cross-country feats. Because there's something inside of us that is going to draw us out to celebrate good things that happen. Something inside of you is going to celebrate bad things too. Because where you focus, what you lean to, let me give you another marriage tip, Whatever you continually speak and focus on, you give life to. So if you're constantly nagging at something, complaining about something, pessimistic, skeptical about something, you're actually doing what you don't want to do, and instead of preventing it from reoccurring, you're giving it life to reoccur because you keep going back to it over and over with your words. You're glorifying it. And in our lives, we have different means that we use to bring glory. In the American culture, in our life right now, we worship our families. They come before everyone. We worship our money. It's mine. I made it. We worship ourselves. 26 filters so people can see another version of me than who I really am. Hey, you want to be an, an a mentor? You want an idea? Make a filter people can wear in real life. So they can walk around with this little trans, 
transparent box over their face, and it gives them whatever filter they want. Because I don't think people know that when they change the filter on their Instagram photo, that when you see them in person, you're going to be like, <laughs> why are we changing filters so much? We know what you look like. It blows my mind. But we put a lot of attention on ourselves. And it's okay because Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He wouldn't want you to hate yourself. He wouldn't want you to despise yourself. He wouldn't want you to neglect, abuse, or hurt yourself. He would want you to love the very creation that God loves and what he made. So take that and realize, though, that it, it belongs in a certain category below God. Nothing wrong with loving your family. Nothing wrong with working for finance. Nothing wrong with making sure that you look good for people to see. That's a healthy way of thinking. However, it belongs below God in the order of worship in our lives. Because we will worship. We will worship. The question is, is what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Who is the very one? That you're, we can worship a person and be so far out of alignment with where God wants us to be in a relationship that we're codependent and we're stuck on somebody and we can't let them go and they control our mind and our thinking and our decisions and we arrange for us to be coincidentally in the same place as them when God is simply going, I'm trying to set you free from them and bring you somebody else, single person, but you keep working yourself back into it because you won't worship me and trust me and you're allowing that person to dictate your future. It's not will we, it's who will we choose to worship? True worship is a way that we live our lives. It's a lifestyle that we live. It's not a part of our lives. It is our lives. And hear me. Because if you dumb down worship to 24 minutes of singing in a service, you missed the whole point. You missed everything. And I have people come up to me, Pastor, I wish we could sing 45 minutes on Sunday. Pastor, I wish we could sing an hour. I've been in church services where we spent an hour and a half singing. Raise your hand. Get that rotator cuff going. I know y'all did too. And some of y'all come from a more traditional background where it was more stoic, more hymn book driven, more stylistic approach of I'm just going to... And everybody's kind of singing at a slower pace, except that one guy who just goes deep down in his soul to bellow out. And we have these different approaches. And people say, well, Pastor, I want, to, I want to just sing for an hour every Sunday. And, and I ask them simply, I have no problem with you saying that, because I'm just going to respond and ask you this. Do you do that every day? Do you spend an hour every day? then why do you insist that corporately we all do this? Because you can't dumb down worship to think that it's 24 minutes before the preaching and we just squeeze it in there or it's the way church is supposed to go and that we sing, we receive an offering and then we preach and then that's the order of service. No, there's so much more to it than that. It is just an outward expression of a life you're living all week long. And for people that understand, it doesn't matter. If, listen to me. Because this is another, oh. When, oh, your pastor, you got to give the Holy Spirit time to move. We need at least an hour. Why do you need an hour? What if the Holy Spirit needs two hours? Are you willing to give that? Come on. 
Well, when I read the Bible, I see that it says suddenly the Holy Spirit came down in that room. Suddenly the Holy Spirit did this. Why are you limiting? What if we did 12 minutes and all of a sudden you went, ooh, thank God for 24, 25 minutes. There is no time limit that we have to place on the Holy Spirit that he must move inside of our singing segment of our service. It can be one note Jessica gets up here and goes, <clears throat> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and just lets it out. And man, the hair on your arms stand up and suddenly you feel, I could take on the weak and the power of God rushes through your body. And it's possible. Don't dumb down the singing that you put it in a box because of traditionalism or because of a past experience. I have been in three-hour worship services where I walked out feeling nothing. And I've been in three minutes and thought I could take out a giant. And I've been in three hours where I thought, my God, I could do that every day. But it's not sustainable. We cannot allow ourselves to fit into this box and stereotype worship into this window that we think it must fit in because it worked at some other moment or in some other setting. Each one of those things is good. The point, listen to me, of worship is not for you. And that's the bottom line to that whole thought. That the moment you begin to dictate the time frame and how long and what style and what songs and how we do it, all begins to name worship as a function that is for and designed for you. And it's not. Our worship is designed for him. We were created to give him glory. Not you, not me. So if we're created to give him glory, I must pull off all of my restrictions and go, God, what do you want to do in this moment? And God just wants us to be reminded and be aware of his presence. Be filled with with the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can, oh, I can have joy even though right now, life's hard. I can have peace like a river. It attends my way. Sorrows and sea billows roll, no matter my lot. You have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. And I can take and put it to melody and begin to speak God's word over my life and it changes everything in my mind because now I'm aware that my storm may not have stopped but my God is greater than the storm and we cannot allow worship to be his function if you're taking notes write this down I'll give you four quick points because we got a second service coming on how do we live a life of worship we will worship God with our time we will worship God with our time. The way you spend your time matters. In premarital counseling, a lot of times, I will use a certain book. And I've talked about this book before, and Tara and I read this book, The Five Love Languages. If you read it, raise your hand. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. So most of y'all have read it. If you haven't, you should. No matter what season you're in, predating, dating, marriage, married forever, wherever you're at, read the book. It's a good book. And in the book, he highlights that there are five different ways, <clears throat> five different languages that we speak in our, from ourselves of love to somebody else. Acts of service, gifts, physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation. 
And as you go through this, and, and it's really good in premarital counseling, as we go through it, we, we learn about these different things, and you identify which gift is yours. You are one of those five. It's a convincing point. You're one of those five. And how you identify that is because all, now, all of a sudden, now you begin to filter everything in your life through one of those five. So if you're an acts of service kind of person, you come to church, you're like, everybody should be serving every service. <laughs> All services. Because that's what we do. Because love to you is spoken through serving. And you want to run from putting up the flags, to setting up the chairs, to putting up the drape, to doing it all. You got one hand here and one hand, and you're just serving, and you're frustrated when other people don't serve. And in your marriage, you cut the grass, you wash the car, you do dishes, you balance the budget, you do all these things, and somebody else doesn't do as many things, as much acts of service, and you get frustrated and say, you do nothing, yet they do, but you don't understand that the way you show love is through that very way of serving. Physical touch is another one. Touch is a big deal. And every guy in premarital counseling thinks physical touch is his love language. <laughs> All of them. It has nothing to do with that. It's handshakes and hugs. If you come into church and you're like, how you doing, man? Like you want to be a greeter because you're full of handshakes and high fives and hugs. People don't come by you and you grip my, like, I, 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 one of my languages is touch because I, I'm a hugger. And I enjoy, like, I, I, if you don't hug me, I'm like, something's wrong with you. You're mad at me. <laughs> and if it's not, you're like, I don't know what his problem is. I, he's kind of sweaty after church. I don't want to give him a hug. <laughs> Words of affirmation. Words that you speak, that you're able to articulate. You're able to say something. You have a way to frame your world and say exactly what you're thinking in a more beautiful way. And you're able to use this as a platform to draw people together. And to allow, And you lead small groups and you enjoy teaching. And you, in, your, in your relationships, you say it. And when somebody doesn't know how to say what they're thinking, you're so frustrated. You're so annoyed. Because words is your love, love language. Gifts. Gifts is my love language. I love to give gifts. I love to get gifts. I may not talk to you, know you, think about you. I want to know what shoe size you are. <laughs> That's my closest friends. Like, and I, 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 I will let you know where you stand in my life with gifts. In a lot of ways, I have to be careful. But my gifts, and for other people, they're like, that's the dumbest one of all of them. Like, don't give me anything. Just tell me how you feel. <laughs> but gifts is a great love language that God speaks to because God gave his son as a gift. And he expects us to give and live a life of generosity toward one another and back towards him. And gift giving is vital as an important role in our Christian life. It's a big part of our DNA to be generous. And the last one is quality time. And you could make an argument that every one of these is the love language that God speaks. You could say that words are because he speaks life. You could say that touch is because he came down to earth so he could lay his hands and be with people and wear skin and bones. You could say that, that, that each one of these is acts of service. He gave his life for us. Gifts. 
and you can say quality time. And I've heard the argument that above all, that quality time is the highest one. That God just wants to spend time with you. Because my wife's love language is quality time. And the best way for me is to let her know I love her is not through my language of giving her a gift. It's the gift of my presence. <laughs> Which, as a matter of fact, doesn't cost me anything at all. I just got to be there, fully engaged. No phone, no kids, praise God. Just there, listening. No agenda. And when you're in this space of, I'm going to give you my time, I'm going to be focused and concentrated on you, this is worship to God. We will worship with our time that we set aside moments. And hear me, because if you give God the end of the day, you're most likely exhausted and tired and worn out, and you're going to do a lot of complaining and praying about what happened during the day. Just reality. You may have some rejoicing. You may have some celebrating. But the tank is mostly empty at the end of the day. But when you give God time at the beginning of the day, and you say, God, I'm going to give you the first part of my day. Here's my time. you got to carve out that time because you wake up in the morning. Most of us don't have any margin in the morning. I'm going to give you my time. I don't know what the day holds, but I'm going to pray about it, that your will be done. Spend time together. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's ten minutes. That's why I'm encouraging you to be a part of the Bible reading plan and use that as a means because we worship with our time towards God. Christianity is not about working for God. It's not about working for Him. Christianity is about being with God. It's a lot better than you just amen. Our life we live as believers is not about what we can do for him. It's about the time we can spend with him. I question when people are like, well, when we get to heaven, what are we going to do? Do you enjoy your time on earth with God now? If you don't, it may be challenging in heaven. Now, we're not going to be just singing hymns on clouds with harps. There's going to be so much to do, but we will be fully engaged in the presence of God with no scales on our eyes. And on earth, you have to create moments where I am in his presence and I'm with him. When you spend time in your small group with God, you're being with him. When you spend time in a way that you refuse to let anything come in front of your Sunday morning schedule, you're with him. When you refuse to allow the morning to get overwhelming and get out of control, you say, God, I'm going to worship you with my time. Number two, write this down. We'll worship God with our treasure because your money matters. Let me ask you this question. If you had a million dollars right now dropped in your bank account, you opened up your app, boom, whatever it is, it was plus one million dollars. What would you do with it? First thing comes to mind. Some of you are like, I'd empty it, cash out quickly before they could trace where it came from. No, no. The first thing you did with it will reveal your God. A million bucks right now. Boom. Where's your mind go? What are you going to do with that money? That may reveal what your God is in your life. 
with your money, with your treasure. Some of y'all are like, my treasure is a jet ski. <laughs> it's a vacation to Hawaii. Nothing wrong with those things. Is it before God? It'll reveal. You go back and look at your bank account. Look at your statement. See, where does it go every time you get paid? What happens at the beginning? Are you giving God the first fruits? Tithing is not just 10%. It's the first 10%. It's like giving God your morning. It's like God giving God your Sunday morning because before everything else happens in the week, before everything else happens in the day, before everything else comes your way that's demanding between the two weeks and the one month that are happening in pay between paychecks, you're saying, God, I'm going to give you the first because I'll worship you with my treasure. That's why I said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart's going to follow wherever your treasure's at. What do you hold near? What's close to you? Listen to me. God isn't after your finances. If God doesn't need your worship, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need to replace the streets of gold in heaven because they're wearing out. Like, hey, y'all tithe a little more. I got some work to do up here. Hey, I got to build a building down here. Tithe a no, no. It's not about him needing your finances. God wants your first. He wants what's first in your life. He's not in need of your hands up, your voice singing. He's not in need of your time. He wants you to choose to put him first with your time and with your treasure. So you can prove to him, God, I trust you before all this hits. Comes my way. Don't care about how much you make. About what you do with the rest of it so much. A healthy budget's good, yes. Don't take my words out of context. But he is more concerned about having your first. So we learn to worship God with our giving. That's why we use that term, worship God with our giving. We don't pay our tithe. We don't use vocabulary, vernacular like that. We don't pay God back for anything. We worship and give. Number three, write this down. We will worship God with our talent. Because what you do with your talent matters. And we have this odd idea that in church, calling is the only thing, calling is done only on stage. Right? It's appropriate that the band would come to the stage at this time. Right? It's odd because we think calling is what we do on stage. Listen, let me do what I'm created to do and I'm good at, and I'll let you do what you're created to do and you're good at. Because I can't go to your board boardroom and your meetings and make those things happen and know what you're doing. I can't operate on the person that you are created to operate on. I can't lead the children in your classroom the way that you do. I can't lead your company the way you do, but you can because you can worship God with your talent. Because you're gifted in a certain way and you lead and you get up every day. Stop looking at vocation and calling being different and understand that in this space, God is using you in the moment that he's placed you. Wherever you are right there in that moment, worship him with your talent. Show up on time. Be punctual. Be efficient. Have great ideas. Give good investment. Return back energy and effort don't absorb and suck and take life out of the company but reinvest yourself back into it and say god i am going to worship you whatever you do do all for the glory of god 
in word or in deed, in job or in vocation, in calling. My work is my worship. You ought to write it down. When you wake up Monday morning, whoo, and you don't feel like going to work, you have that little five minutes with God, and you go, God, my work is my worship today. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. Not for humans. Everything I do. Why? Because God needs me? No. Because when you do, your talent brings glory to God. Your gifting brings glory to God. And the way you carry yourself, people see your worship. They see the way you respond. They hear the things you say. And it's worship through your talent. Our time, our treasure, our talent. Number four, we will worship God with our talk. With the things we say. Because what comes out of your mouth matters. The words that come out of our mouth have the very power to glorify God and magnify Him above every situation. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him through God the Father. You got wrongly accused? What was your response? The very words of God. Imagine if you use that. That whatever I say, I'm representing Jesus. So when I respond to my spouse, I am representing Jesus in my response to them right now. To my employer right now. To my employees right now. I have to represent Jesus to my employees. And I have to choose what I say because my words now will either glorify him or not. And I'm talking as a representative of God. Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, my rock, my redeemer. The words of my mouth be acceptable. It should challenge you that some of the things you say may not be acceptable to God, but you aren't even speaking to him. You thought you were talking to somebody else. then why? Why do we sing? Because I thought worship was singing. It's just a function. It's just a part. It's just a moment. It's just a piece of the puzzle. And it is vital. And you can go back and one day I will preach a whole message. Maybe Jessica will. On why we sing and the power of it. But you cannot stay in the box in your mind that singing is the only form of worship that I have. One of the best ways to use the word worship is glory, and another one is magnify. And I'm sure you've seen the illustration before that when you have this, whatever you magnify in your life is what you draw focus to. So you have this magnifying glass, and you, you look around, and you look through it, and it does more than just kill ants. It actually brings out and into focus something that you need to see above everything else. It doesn't show, it doesn't create, it just brings into vision. 
you know, if you had a big telescope, the rings of Saturn are there. You just can't see them with the natural eye. But if you magnified your eyesight to be able to see that far, you would actually see that planet with its rings. When you magnify God, you don't speak into creation his provision. You suddenly can see his provision has already been made. When you magnify God, you don't speak into life. Oh, God, I, I need now. I need you to do this thing. No, no. It's by faith believing that I'm going to magnify. That's what I'm saying. If you just focus on the negative, what you're, if you're, you're going to magnify something, you're going to worship something. You're going to bring something to life. So focus on. Watch this. Oh, goodness. Watch this. I got the story of Hannah right here. And she couldn't have a child. Had no babies. Said, God, I want to have a child. And Eli came out, the priest, the pastor, he was like, are you drunk already, woman? Your mouth is moving and no words are coming out. You're crying. You're a mess. Get yourself together and go home. And she said, no, no, no. Forgive me. It's not that I'm drunk. I just have a burden in my heart that I want a son so bad. What did she magnify? She magnified the very fact. She said, and if the Lord would provide for me and look down on his, the affliction of his servant and forget me not, I will give to him the child in return all the days of his life. And she magnified his purpose over her problem. Ooh, that's good. So what are you focused on? Hannah said, I'm going to magnify the very fact that if God gives me this child, what he will do, I will return him back to God and he'll serve him and live for him his entire life. What are you magnifying? The problem or the purpose? Are you magnifying the problem or the power of God? Three boys were thrown into a fiery, big old thing. A furnace. It was on fire. The king said, if you don't bow down and worship me, glorify me, magnify me, I'll kill you and take your life. And they said, king... You may kill us, but we won't worship you. We won't magnify you above our God. And they used these words. They said, but even if, let it be known, we will not serve you or your gods or worship the image you've set up. And even if our God doesn't rescue us, he and he alone is who we will serve. I'm telling you you got to figure out what you're magnifying. The problem or the power of God. The problem or the purposes of God. And when you figure out how to move the magnifying glass around in your life, your worship will come in tune. Because what you're magnifying is what you're worshiping. And some of us are worshiping problems not designed to be worshiped. Come on, stand up with me. And we worship God with our talk. So I'm going to use my language, my voice, my words. And this is where singing comes in play. Because all I'm doing is taking words and putting them to melody. That's it. I mean, I'm glad we live in a day when we have cool bands. 
amplification systems. Like instruments, electric. Kenny hits that bass, plays that thing, magnifying God. Nathan's over there getting hot on the cymbals. Why is he making all that noise? He's magnifying God. He's trying to draw my attention back to God. And some of us need to get free of the fact that we can't use our hands or our voices to magnify God. I'm done, but listen to me. Famous last words. 7% of what you convey to somebody else is spoken through words. 7. 35%, 38% is conveyed to somebody else through tone. Not what you say, how you say it. Tone alone, five times as much as the words you say conveyed in communication. The number one way you communicate to somebody else at a big 55% is through body language. The way you're talking to me, shrug your shoulders, throw your arm behind your back, cross your arms over, look down. Everything in your body language says so much more than what your words do. Because I can look at you and be like, yeah, I love you. And I don't believe you. Or I can look at you and be like, y'all didn't see the wink over here. Oh, the wink's worked a lot. The wink has said a lot more than the words can say many times. Come on, guys, you remember back in the day, you, you remember that one? A little, a little head bottle. Oh, man, we thought we were bad. We were just a little, and some guys couldn't get it. They'd be like, ah, ah. They'd be like, yeah. Oh, it's all stiff and all out of, no, just a little. You know, just a little, just a little, barely. Only person could see it was her. Why? Because body language conveys 55% of what you want to say. This is why I encourage you, get your hands out of your pockets and elevate them to God. Because when you don't have the words to say and you're not sure what you want to communicate, you simply give God a sign of surrender. You give God a sign of worship. You use the words that you have. You use the tone that you can create. And you use body language to simply say, God, you are greater than the problem. Stronger than the situation. We're going to use this song. Come on, I'm going to give you. I told you all, each week we're doing something different application. I want you to take the first five minutes of your morning and find a worship song and just sing it to God. And with nobody around, get on your knees, lift your hands, and practice this. This is daily. This is every day. This is not weird. This is conveying worship to God that I will worship. We will worship day and night, night and day. Day and night. Yo no. 
got this thing in my life, and I know some of y'all are like, I was just getting into it. I've seen you do better. I just have. Because I've been with you at sporting events. And I refuse to give any man more glory with my body language, my words, and my tone than my God. And I will not hold back. And I will not hold you back. And you need to learn how I am going to worship him. Oh, it felt good, Pastor. No, we weren't. Because you're not convinced yet. Because I've seen you cheer on your team and cheer on your kids. And I've I've, I've done it myself. And I will not give any person more glory than God. So I get loud at football games. I get loud watching the TV. I get told to hush every Sunday. I will embarrass you at a baseball game. But I will not temper myself for God. God, we are committed. We will worship you. In these quiet moments like this, just lift your hands. Sometimes you need to pump it up. Sometimes you need to feel it. God, we'll worship you with our talk, with our speech. You're worthy of it all, God. And when the music starts to build, come on, team. Come on. God, I need to sometimes drown out the noise of the world. Come on, you got to learn to do this at home. You got to be a part of it. The invitation is there in corporate to block out everything else in spite of everything else. I'm going to worship God with my talk because you deserve it. God, nobody else deserves it. Yeah.